Morning, everybody. Um, after the first service, before uh, people were leaving, someone came up to me, um, having listened to kind of through the, through the service, and they were telling me that they live the other side of the Persia Roads, as Tim was saying, but they live kind of quite far away from Cotteridge, that way up the other side of the Persia Road, and they hadn't quite clocked it was the half marathon this morning. So they'd set out to come to church at normal time. It was a mum and her two daughters. And so they started driving, obviously realised it was the half marathon, and that getting to church would probably be a 40-minute journey from their house. So she said that she said to her, Girls, oh girls, why don't we all catch up with church later? We'll just go out for breakfast. Let's do that instead. And we'll just pop to a local cafe. And apparently the two kids who were young both said to her, but mummy, church is when we get to do stuff with our friends about God. And I just thought what a beautiful sort of like moment of these young children actually really reflecting what we're looking at this morning as we continue in our series, uh, The Story of Us. So they were quite late. The mum was a little bit stressed, but I think they had a good morning. Uh, so it was all fine. But the proverb that we are uh, kind of moving on to today, as Tim said, each week we're going to take a Bible passage and then a proverb as well, is Proverbs 17.17, which says, a friend loves at all times. As I was uh, thinking about this talk, I met up with Phil Knox, who many of you might know. Phil is the head of mission to young adults at the Evangelical Alliance. Uh, He is kind of a friend of a friend and someone who I've got to know uh, quite well. When I met up with Phil for coffee, the first question that he said to me was, Sarah, when was the last time you heard teaching about friendship in a church setting? And it might be a little bit of brain fog setting in at my age, but I thought about it and I I couldn't think of a time apart from when I've been with the children and working in kind of the children's groups that we'd really taught and looked about friendship Phil's really passionate about friendship. He's writing a book at the moment called Best of Friends, and that's going to be published next year. But Phil was really generous in that he let me read a draft copy of his book, which was so inspiring to read and really helped me as I kind of thought about this talk. And I'd really encourage you when that comes out next year to do get hold of a copy. But Kevin DeYoung agrees with the question that Phil asked me when he wrote, have you ever noticed we seldom study friendship? It is the most important, least talked about relationship in the church. The most important, least talked about relationship in the church. Mary Garber, or Megan Garber, also wrote (coughs) agreeing, uh, suggesting that friendship has long been conceived as the side dish to the main feast of marriage, kids and the nuclear family. That's so often we look at all these other relationships and we're like, yeah, we want those. We live in a world that is saturated with sex that sells absolutely everything. And so we look at friendship and we go, okay, that's the little add-on that we can have, but these are the main goals. And actually, if this is true, if we have seen friendship as the add-on, as the side dish, then we have really hollowed out our understanding of what friendship is. Because we see it then as less valuable than any other relationship that we might have in our lives. And if that's the case, then it massively and radically impacts the Bible passage that we have just had read to us. Because in the moment where Jesus says to his disciples, I have called you friends, if we've made friendship an add-on, a side extra, what do we think Jesus is meaning by that? Do we think that Jesus is saying, great, let's go and meet up for coffee, we're friends, Maybe we think that um, Jesus is saying, I'm going to start liking all your Facebook photos. I'm going to be pressing that like every time you put something up from your life. Or maybe Jesus says that on those kind of hard days at work, you're sitting on the sofa on the end of the day watching some telly and you see people trying to carry a sofa around the corner shouting out the word pivot, you can have a good laugh together. But I don't think that is what Jesus meant when he said, I have called you my friends. 
Because actually, this was a really radically turning point in the relationship that Jesus had with each one of his disciples. Because up until that point, Jesus had been their teacher. They had been his followers, uh, his uh, kind of learners, his students, learning from all that he was teaching them. But in this moment, just before he is about to be arrested and about to go to his death, he wants them to know, you are no longer my servants. I have called you my friends. And friendship was very different in the Greco-Roman world in which Jesus was living and in the Jewish world which Jesus was operating. Friendship was not this hollowed out side dish that we so often have made it in our society. Friendship was all about alliances. It was saying we will stand together on the battlefield and we will fight side by side to the death. It was about loyalty. We have made a commitment of friendship. We will be loyal to the very end to one another. It was about a deep level of intimacy and understanding of one another. In the ancient world, dying for a friend was considered to be one of the most heroic acts that you could do that was given the highest moral value. So different to the add-on that we see it as now. Friendship alliances were so strong that they were almost seen as more important than the marital relationship was. It wasn't just a flippant term for your social media followers or your acquaintances that you may say hi to down the street. Jesus calling his disciples friends was a radically life-changing relationship, not just meeting up for a flat white on a Sunday afternoon. C.S. Lewis wrote, To the ancients, friendship seemed the happiest and most fully human of all loves, the crown of life and the school of virtue. The modern world, in comparison, ignores it. And actually, if we can begin to grasp the difference that friendship was and maybe what Jesus was meaning in this moment when he called his disciples friends, then actually maybe we can stop seeing it as this side dish, as this add-on. And maybe we can realise that this might just well be the main course that each one of us so desperately needs. And particularly at the moment, coming out of the pandemic, I think more now than ever, we are aware of our need for community and for friendship. In a survey that was done in the UK out of that pandemic, the question was asked, how often do you feel lonely? The amount of people who ticked the box that said, I always or often feel lonely, increased from one in 20 in the UK to one in 14. And I'm sure for many of us even here, there were times when we felt like that one in 14. And interestingly, that one in 14 was not just people who were living in houses on their own. It were people who were living in huge uh, amounts of people in one building. But people saying, we felt lonely, we felt desperate. In 2018, the UK appointed its first minister for loneliness. Because maybe here in the Western world, actually, we have created a loneliness epidemic. We live really busy lives where we're doing and going all the time and we look at everyone else and we say, but they're so busy they haven't got time for me. We're busy. Uh, that we have saturated our world so much with technology that often even when we're out with friends, we can actually not be present with friends because we're so busy scrolling. That we spend more time of an evening scrolling and looking at our technology than we actually do on the phone to someone or face-to-face -face chatting with someone, doing real life with them. We live in a world where we have championed individualism, where we said, yeah, you go for it, you do what you want to do, at the expense of saying, but actually what's really important is community and doing it all together. We live in a world where we have filled it with activities and we need to be doing stuff all of the time. We even live in a Western culture where we have taken out the living in community. We live in our own separate individual little boxes, our plots of land, where so often we don't even know the people who live on our left or our right, let alone those who live opposite us. And that isn't how we were created. 
No wonder for so many we tick the box saying we feel lonely. Because if we go right to the beginning of the Bible, to the book of Genesis, if we look at that moment when God created humanity and created his world, time and time again, we read the phrase that God created and he said it was good. It was good. But there is one moment that God says, even before humanity turned their backs on God and said, we're going to go it alone and we're going to do it our own way and bad stuff came into the world. Even before then, there was one moment in creation story where God looks at his creation and says, this is not good. And that one moment where God says that is in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. And God says, it is not good for man to be alone. The one thing that God looked at in the creation, the one thing that he looked at in the world that he made and said it wasn't good was loneliness because he created us for friendships. We're made in the image of a God who lives in communal love. One God, but Father, Son and Holy Spirit together. He made us in his image to reflect the wonderful need for community and love. When I was uh, thinking about putting this talk together, I found this brilliant quote from Tim Keller. And Tim Keller is writing about the moment in the Garden of Eden where Adam is there, he's been created, he's literally walking around with God, he can chat to God whenever he likes. And this is what Tim Keller writes. Adam was not lonely because he was imperfect, but because he was perfect. The ache for friends is the one ache that is not the result of sin. This is the one ache that is part of God's perfection. God made us in such a way that we cannot enjoy paradise without friends. God made us in such a way that we cannot enjoy our joy without human friends. Adam had a perfect quiet time every day, 24 hours. He never had a dry one. And yet he needed friends. And we see that reflected so often throughout the Bible, don't we? That beautiful need for friendship, for doing life with one another. The Bible is saturated with friendships. Naomi and Ruth, David and Jonathan, Paul and Timothy, Elisha and Elijah, Jesus and John, to name but a few, the list could go on. We do life needing friendships because we've been made in the image of a God who has made, for, or who has made us for communal love. And whilst we can kind of maybe begin to grasp the importance of friendship and maybe how much more important it is than maybe sometimes we have made it in this modern world, as C.S. Lewis wrote, actually, how does this practically impact us? Because for every single one of us here this morning, we probably hear this whole idea of friendship through really different ears. There are probably for some of us here this morning who are going, yes, absolutely. My friends are my lifeblood. This is how I do life. I journey with people intimately involved in my life, and I thank God for that. But there will be others who are here feeling really lonely, who think, actually, I have not got those friends who I can do this journey with, and I am so desperate for that. And there will be others of us who know that we have prioritised and put on a pedestal other relationships at the sake of actually doing life with our friends. And so as we sort of think about this, there are two points I just want us to unpack a little bit. As we think about the practical application of how do we do friendship and what does that mean for each one of us? I think the first one is being outward looking for friendships because of the example of Jesus. And then the second one is inward investment into our friendships because of the example of Jesus. 
And as we think about the kind of outward offer of friends, of being friends with people, actually what we can do is really begin to start seeing people through the eyes of Jesus. Phil very graciously and generously said uh, it was okay to quote from his book, even though it hasn't been published yet. So I just wanted to read uh, something that Phil wrote in his book about friendship. And Phil wrote, The kingdom of God is scandalously, beautifully, and counterculturally inclusive. We are called to have open hearts and generous spirits in how we relate to others, treating everyone we come across with a God-given grace and a winsome welcome. There are no boundaries to whom we should befriend, regardless of their history, nationality, ethnicity, sexuality, political extremity, religious or religio- <laughs> religiosity. Oh gosh, I didn't struggle with that the first time round. <laughs> Following the example of the Nazarene, Jesus, known as the friend of sinners. His example is that of radical, audacious friendship with the most privileged to the most broken, knowing that acceptance does not necessarily equate to approval. I wonder how many people uh, are in your life who are your really best friends who voted differently to you on the whole issue of Brexit. That really challenged me as I thought about that. You know, how often we stick with the people that we know because actually that's the easiest thing. But actually, when we think about others, we can pray and know that we can see everybody through the eyes of Jesus. Knowing that as Jesus calls us his friends, I have called you my friends. I have chosen you. You have not chosen me. I have chosen you as my friends. And that he loves us wholeheartedly and unconditionally. That actually we can extend the same love to other people. One of the biggest sadnesses that I hear in a church sort of gathered context, not just in Riverside, in many, many churches that I've kind of had any connection with or friends who work for churches, is when I hear people say about the whole area of group life or about gathered church gatherings, uh, and people so often can say, actually, it's great that some people need that, but I don't need that. Maybe actually the thought that we need to think is, but who needs me? Because we live in a society where we live in a really lonely world. Where even now in this room, there might be people who are sat here feeling lonely and feeling like they are not known and they are not seen. Who so desperately want friendships. Who are so desperate to feel known. And actually, we can be those people who do know them. In the week just gone, I have had conversations with people who range from the age of 17 to 70 who have all said and met up with me for the one reason that they are struggling with friendships and they were finding life really tough. And they met up to say, I feel lonely. That's the youngest to some of the more mature, wiser people in our church. Didn't want to say older in case anyone kicked off. Um, But it's a real issue. And actually, we can see people through the eyes of Jesus, that we can show them the love that is extended to us and given to us by Jesus. And building friendships, seeing others through the eyes of Jesus does take sacrifice. It takes sacrifice of time. It takes laying down some of our lives. It might take laying down some of our watching of Netflix or some of our scrolling on our phone to actually take some time in our lives to say, I want to meet up with you. We've never met up before, but come on, let's start meeting up. I have a friend who uh, started meeting up with uh, uh, six other guys in the church. They didn't actually know each other very well. They weren't sort of good friends, but they were all people who maybe didn't know others quite as well. And they intentionally said, why don't we start meeting once a month to, uh, to do a shared activity? 
So they did. They started meeting around a shared activity once a month, and they really sort of, uh, in a disciplined manner, put the dates in the diary to make sure they would always make it a priority. They've been doing that for a couple of years now, and they're actually at a point where they're no longer side by side doing activity, they're face to face sharing lives really sharing the deep things that are happening in their lives, the things that they want to unpack and support one another in because of the intentionality. And there are probably different challenges for this, for different personality types, for introverts, of which I would put myself in that category. It can be really hard to put yourself out there, can't it? I find it really hard to sit at a party to sort of go up and talk to people that I don't know. I would much rather sit on a sofa with someone who's a friend already and chat to them. So it's hard to kind of push yourself sometimes to say, do you know what, actually, because I'm seeing people through the eyes of Jesus, I am going to go and talk to that person. Sometimes it can be really hard to be really vulnerable, to let your guard down and say, actually, this is what's going on. And it might even be simply saying to someone, I just don't feel like I've got any friends. And I met up with someone who uh, said to me this week, you know, they were struggling with that whole area, with being vulnerable. And they said, but I don't want to be vulnerable because what if they don't want to be my friend? Can I suggest that the more vulnerable you are, and that's not posting it across your social media page, that's in genuine one-on-one, -on -one, being vulnerable for a reason, is that actually you might just put down some roots that grow really deep with that person. Because we all look at one another and we all assume our, each other's stories, but actually what is going on in our own hearts and minds can be so different. I found it really interesting when I met up with Phil. Uh, I've spent quite a bit of time with Phil, but he's not sort of like a close friend. He's more of a friend of a friend. And then when we were chatting, Phil kept saying, because, you know, people like me and you, we're such extroverts. And I was kind of going, yeah, great. Um, because that isn't me. And if you met my closest friends, they would say, actually, Sarah is more of an introvert. I know that probably when I'm up the front, actually, you'd probably look at someone up the front speaking and not think that. Because we all can have a persona that people think something about you, but actually it's not true. Be vulnerable with one another because you might actually put down some really deep friendships. I asked uh, quite a number of my friends who are a lot more extroverted, uh, what are your challenges in kind of building friendships? The thing that came up the most was they said because they love being around people so much and get so much energy from it, they actually find it really hard to just properly invest in friendships that they spend more time with people, that they would happily at a party kind of go around everybody but not actually have any sort of deep or meaningful conversation in that moment. One of my friends even said to me that her biggest concern was that people looked at her and called her their fluffy friend because she wasn't someone who she felt uh, would kind of give time to others. I did very much disagree with her. So there are challenges for all of us when it comes to how we can help build friendships with others, how we can see others through the eyes of Jesus. But the biggest thing that we can do is we can pray. We can pray for the eyes of Jesus to see others through. So regardless of whether someone voted the same as you on Brexit, whether you have the same opinions about things, actually we can pray and say, just as I am loved wholeheartedly, unconditionally, do you know what? I can extend that same love that Phil talked about in that quote that I just read. We can pray for wisdom to know the people who really do need someone to get alongside them. That as we go and about our days, that we can be praying, God, please show me. Who is it that I can just go up and say hi to? Who is it that I can go on that first coffee with and then that second coffee and then keep putting intentional dates in the diary? And also we can pray for friends. Jesus did. In Luke chapter 6, verse 12, just before Jesus went and called the 12 disciples around him, it says he went away and he prayed. He prayed for who will those people be that I'm going to do close relationship with during this time that I have left on earth? Who are those people going to be? 
And I felt quite challenged by that because I realized that so often when my children have started a new school or have been in a new environment, one of the things that I pray most for them is that they will find friends. That as a parent is my biggest concern for them. But it challenged me to think, but how often do I do that? How often do I go into a social setting and pray, God, give me friends? I don't know if I have, if I'm really honest. I know that other people are much better at that. But then the kind of second bit is the inward investment into friends. And just to read, uh, continue reading what Phil wrote, he said, we are finite human beings in a restricted space with a limited amount of time and emotional energy. This means there are points on our journeys where we must not let anyone follow us except a select few. It means our mountains will be too crowded if everyone is there. It means in our Gethsemanes, we must leave some at a certain point and only go deeper with an inner circle. When Jesus was just about to be arrested, knowing that he was about to die, one of the most horrific forms of death that anyone could face, he went to the Garden of Gethsemane, one of the most broken that we read of him in the Bible. He went with the 12 disciples to the Garden of Gethsemane, but he took only three of them into the garden with him. Because actually even the model of Jesus says that there are some people in our lives where we will invest into those friendships so much that we really will do life with one another, that they will be our support and they will be the people who walk with us in everything that goes on, whether it's the good or the bad, the highs or the lows. My friends who are my friends who I would say are kind of my Gethsemane friends are the people who have seen me at my absolute best and rejoiced with, but they're also the people who have seen me at my absolute worst and I them. They're the people who I have wept with, who I have cried with, who I have rejoiced with, who I have sat in silence with. They're the people who I have been really vulnerable with, who I have said the things that you know when you think, if I say this, is someone going to judge me or are they going to dislike me? But they're the people I've said those things to. And that's the model that Jesus gives us, even though it's hard and even though it's vulnerable. I remember um, many years ago when I'd been through a really horrible, hard time and some friends turned up on my doorstep who knew me, who knew the situation, and they came in and they just said, can we just sit with you? And we sat in silence and they lit a candle. I was at one of my most broken that I have ever been. And we just sat and they wept and I wept. And it was a beautiful moment of friendship because no one came with a solution, no one came to do anything, but we just did life and grief together. And it was good. In 2019, Professor Jerry Hall researched the amount of time it takes to make friends. He found that to make a deep friendship took at least 300 hours of quality time before that friendship began to emerge. It takes sacrifice. Building friends is something we need to give time and attention to. And maybe we've lost that as we've made it a bit more of a side dish rather than the main course. It sacrifices our time. It means that we have to be vulnerable. It means we have to be intentional in putting dates in the diary and time together. It means we have to work hard to do things like remember significant dates where we can drop someone a little card, send them a little text, say, hey, I remember what happened on this date this time last year. I want you to know I'm with you. That is sacrifice of our time and our energy but we do it because we have the example of Jesus who did it for us. The cross was history's most heroic act of friendship. Jesus laid down his life, not just for the small group of people that he did his earthly life with. 
He laid down his life for every single one of us so that we can know that we are fully loved, fully accepted, unconditionally, wholeheartedly, and that he did that for every single one of us because he said, I have called you my friends and I have chosen you. And as we begin to really realise that actually Jesus, God's son, loved us that much, that he died for us because we are his friends, then actually we can start showing that love to the people around us. Seeing the people around us with those eyes of unconditional love who we want to sacrifice for. It might be that today we all have different prayers and different responses. Maybe our prayer today might be that God will show us those people around us who we can get alongside, who we can lay down something of our lives for and say, we want to spend time with you, we want to get to know you, we want to do life with you. It might be for some of us, actually, our prayer is, God, who are those people who can be my friends? I do feel lonely. I want to know those people who I can do life with. Show me, God, who those people are. And for some of us, it might simply be actually knowing that you do have someone who loves you wholeheartedly, unconditionally, who called you his friend, that Jesus, the son of God, wanted to die on a cross for you because you were worth it, worth more than you will ever know. And as we begin to grasp just a little bit of what friendship might actually mean, we might begin to realise that actually it's not the side dish that so often we have put it and made it to be. It might well just be the main course that every single one of us so desperately needs in our life.